I didn't work through that when I was younger either. I pretty much like took that, like balled it up and then just stuck it right on my backpack, you know, my metaphorical backpack. And I just carried that weight around for like years, man, like years and years until I went off on uh, this long bike ride where I really, you know, being so removed from everything and like just being on a bike all the time, like gives a lot of space for thoughts to roam, you know, and that was really when I started to break down some of that. That's Brendan Walsh. He's an adventure athlete who holds the world record for the fastest crossing of America by bicycle. One of the great feats of endurance he's taken on in the name of raising mental health awareness. I was just like out there surviving and like people would see me and they'd be like, oh, like, yo, what are you doing, man? Um, which was great because it, it opens up a lot of opportunities for conversation for people to be really honest with you because they you're very unthreatening when you're just like a sweaty lycra donned dude on a bike in the middle of nowhere. Brennan's just published a book chronicling his remarkable journey from his long struggle with mental illness and suicidal ideation to taking on the world on his bike. It's about my mental health journey and honoring my friends and really just trying to be as open as I can be in my story to hopefully show somebody like me or not like me who can just really just relate. Brendan's lost friends to suicide and very nearly lost himself, but he's still here and he's on a mission to help make a change. Your mental health is so essential to not just your own well-being, but to the well-being of the people that love and care about you. And I think that's a damn good reason to put in some hard work, man. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. So Brendan, when did you first become aware that you were struggling with your mental health? It's got to be my uh, motorcycle accident that I had in 2014. You know, it was the first time where I was forced to just stop and be and not do any sort of physical movement at all. And, you know, once for me, I'm a very, you know, fidgety dude. So like when I'm in motion, that's generally when I feel like I'm thinking my clearest thoughts. And it gave me this open space in my head to explore places that I never really went before, really didn't know about until this kind of started to elevate it in my life, you know? Hmm. And so what, what happened when you were forced to stop and reflect? You know, I never really thought that I could do anything about it. You know, it was ever since I was like a little kid, I always thought like when I was 40, like I was just going to inevitably kill myself. And, you know, that kind of number just like dwindled down and down and down as I got older, you know, constantly having like suicidal ideation as a kid but never really connecting any dots or like knowing that anyone had ever like felt this way or like gone through it or anything like that. So 
being forced to stop kind of li literally removed me from where I was. I was living in Boston at the time and I was just involved in some like nefarious activity, you know, and all my, all my friends, like everybody I was with, like we're all doing the same shit. And I was taken out of that, you know? So it gave me this time where I like wasn't partying like every moment of every day. And I actually was like starting to wipe away the cobwebs in my mind, you know, like clean out, clean out the musty old basement mind that I had then. So when you were a lot younger and you're struggling with suicidal ideation and feeling depressed and all that, like, what do you put that down to? Is that something that's been in your family or did you have a very tough life growing up? Like what were the things that fed into you feeling like that as such a young person? Yeah, man, I come from, uh, you know, I have, I have uh, a very common, common theme you know and in america where it's like mixed families and stuff like that and i'm super blessed you know like to have you know awesome parents and stuff but it was like this mixed it was like uh the brady bunch that wasn't made for tv you know okay. where uh you know you had these people all these siblings all these siblings and you know i always felt like i was causing just my birth was like causing a rift in this and and in the relationships with everything and just like, you know, the core of my existence was questioned even from a young kid, just by feeling like just by being born into this family, I caused all of these things, you know, all of them to feel whatever sort of way in their lives. Um, even though I didn't know at the time that wasn't me, you know, it was just my feelings of that and all of, you know, the battling that can happen in situations like that. Mm. And how were you raised? Like, was it a loving, sort of supportive home that you were in? And I guess the town that you grew up in as well? Like, obviously, to be having suicidal ideation as a young kid, such an extreme thing. Was it something that you understood at all why it was happening? Or did it just happen for a period of years and you were just always confused by it, but accepted that that was just sort of how your brain worked? Or how do you explain that? Yeah, man, I would say it wasn't really until maybe like a couple years after that motorcycle accident where it really actually clicked, you know, um, that it wasn't just this inevitability. It was something that I had like control of and then became like consciously aware of. I have gr great parents and, and, you know, great friends and all that, but it was a very small town with like not much opportunity. And, you know, it's, the people who you surround yourself with right yeah and a lot of those kids you know had folks who you know were addicted to drugs having my family where you know there's like generational trauma like from both sides of my father and my mother there was a lot of pent-up emotions that were never really had quite an outlet for yeah you know until i got older and realized that like oh you know when i and feeling this way, there's an applicable solution to it and not just like spin out into like some sort of manic moment, you know? Yeah. So a lot of trauma and not a lot of prospects and a lot of relating to those around you who are also feeling fairly negative and sort of sounds like perhaps feeding each other in, in quite a negative way or all thinking like life wasn't going to get better or you were doomed to mm -hmm. sort of repeat the same patterns or stay in the same place and then that fed into quite a negative headspace. 
Oh yeah, totally, man. And so you use drugs and alcohol throughout your teenage years to deal with these sorts of feelings. Like that was part of your friendship group and just the way that you dealt with being alive. Like where did that sort of lead? Yeah, that mainly happened once I uh, went off to college actually, brother. Um, you know, when I didn't have, I didn't really have anyone at all, um, you know, and then I lost my friend to suicide uh, freshman year of college, you know, and that really like, it was one of those things, bro, like, you know, as a kid, we had like a falling out with a friend group and like, I'm kind of like downplaying it, it like totally dismantled like my entire social thing just because he decided he didn't like me. And like, in hindsight, you know, it was probably more of like a call for help because I was more aware of those things. And then once he took his own life, you know, it was, that was really the domino, like the first domino that went down where it was like, all of them have been lining up for years. And like, now they're starting to trickle and fall. And that's really where that began. Sorry that happened to you. You know, we're all 18 heading off to college. He went off to one. I went off to Boston where I spent the next, you know, decade plus. And though we were separated, like I, I came from a really small town and then it was like, it sent an absolute like nuclear bomb through that place, man. And it like had a very heavy effect on a lot of people who I've rekindled friendships with since then. And I know like sometimes that, uh, um, I can kind of tell them like, yo, you haven't like really worked through much of that at all. Yeah. You know, how did it affect you? I felt a weird sense of, I don't want to say like gratitude because that's like kind of fucked up to say about it, but like him doing that, like in a way I felt kind of saved me at that time period as twisted as that sounds. Cause it was like, I saw what happens after that. Right. Yeah. You know, where and like you'd been considering it on and off to that time. Like you've obviously been considered. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Dude. And did, did yeah. that ramp up as you went off to college and you were, or you're about to move off to college, did that intensify for you personally as well in terms of thinking about doing that yourself? Oh, yeah. And, like, I couldn't – I didn't work through that when I was younger either. I pretty much, like, took that, like, balled it up and then just like, stuck it right on my backpack, you know, my metaphorical backpack. And I just carried that weight around for, like, years, man, like, years and years until I went off on uh, this long bike ride where I really – you know, being so removed from everything and like just being on a bike all the time, like gives a lot of space for thoughts to roam, you know, and that was really when I started to break down some of that. Yeah. So when you, when your friend died and you saw the impact that suicide has, that made you view it differently? You know, I saw it and it really wasn't like, uh, I will never do this yet you know it was still at a point where it was like oh that is a part of the process you know like that is just like you know everyone you know everybody dies but not everybody realizes that everybody dies and like in that moment as a young kid where you're like oh i felt that dude was invincible yeah you know and then for something like that to happen yeah because it is a life-changing moment and i've experienced the same thing i lost a friend to suicide uh, a few years ago obviously you know you know that everyone dies but until you lose someone suddenly who it certainly wasn't their time yet that's what really shocks you and makes you sort of rocks your world and 
you realize like, wow, we're not invincible, especially at that time of being a young man, uh, late teenage years into your early 20s, you really do think you're invincible, like that stereotype that all young men think they're invincible, but you really do through that time. And for me personally, like losing a mate who was probably the strongest friend that I had physically and, and mentally, I thought in lots of ways, uh, was mind blowing because it was like, oh, wow, like that can really happen. And then that makes you grow up a bit in a way, hopefully makes you appreciate more your own life and, and brings a bit of seriousness to it as well because you, you realize for the first time, like it's shown right in front of your eyes, this will actually happen if you don't look after yourself, if you, if you allow yourself to go down a certain path, like it can all end today. And yeah. actually being confronting with that is like, fuck. <laughs> you know? Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's those moments, like, you know, like you're saying the strongest dude, like it makes everything seem so much more fragile in that moment. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It shows you the fragility of life. It's like, well, if that can happen to someone that I consider to be one of the strongest, then it can definitely happen to me. And although we're not necessarily selfish creatures, we always see ourselves in other people when we know that that could be you. And it just makes you sort of view your entire life and everything differently. And you're like, wow, I'm actually only here for a short period of time that can be taken away at any time. And I need to be grateful, make the most of what I've got and, and try to help other people right now, because this is actually, <laughs> this is real. This is a serious thing, you know? Yeah. When did you find the bike? Like when did you start riding? Had you always done that or did you just pick it up one day? From like a little kid, I used to just run. Like I would get off the bus, I would come home and I would just run a 5K like every single day. And, you know, I played soccer year round. That was like a huge part of my life. I did wrestling and then inevitably did track where I was like pretty successful um, through high school and all that. But gave it up when I went to college, you know, and because I went to art school. You know, they don't have sports in art school, man. So like I lost this outlet that I didn't realize was so important to me and like keeping me out of so much, so much trouble that I could have been in just by having like so much free time. I say this all the time about humans is like, we're the most flawed creatures on this planet and we have the most free time. Yeah. You know, so it's like the it's a dangerous it's a dangerous combination (laughs) (laughs) it is man yeah it's like the perfect storm right there um it wasn't until uh the motorcycle accident really because you know i've been going through um you know three or four years after that um you know lost another friend to suicide lost uh another friend to a drug overdose and you know these things continually racking up and like what I kept doing instead of like working through them was just like drinking a shit ton and like doing drugs and stuff like that. Like, I mean, I was going to the gym. Yeah, but it's easier. It's easier to just do that and, and not try to process it all because it's so much, especially losing multiple friends like that in a fairly short period of time. There's so much to deal with and you'd already experienced it once with your friend when you were younger and you've got other things going on in your life. And I think that the temptation, which is perfectly understandable for people, is just to shut it down and not process it because it just seems too hard and too painful. But obviously that catches up with you in the end. Oh, totally, man. I mean, uh, what's like, what, what's easier is like grabbing a, a beer out of the fridge or like going for a run, you know? Yeah. So when you're, when you're like most people when given that 
time and like especially in that moment of weakness you know like they're going to pick the easier thing choosing the easy road eventually becomes the hard road like it seems like if, when it's in front of us we have the the chance to choose vice or choose something that's virtuous in terms of how we cope with a situation the easy road it will seem like that's that's going to be the the easiest way to heal our pain or take us away from the pain or just make us feel comfortable in the moment but ultimately making those decisions again and again and again will actually put you in a very hard place mm -hmm. yeah you think you're like oh you're like oh i i moved through that and it's really like no you're just kind of like putting another brick on this wall that you're inevitably going to have to climb right yeah like at some point you're going to smash into that wall dude and like those are the moments where like are you gonna like try to get back up and get over it or like are you just gonna give up yeah you know and making that conscious decision to like try to get your ass up over that wall is like, that's a, I mean, you got to practice that dude, you know, like that's a, it's a muscle. That's a, yeah, for sure. Like res resilience is most definitely a muscle and moving forward and like physically moving through space piece is like, that's the easy part, dude. Like we've yeah. been doing that for like hundreds of thousands of years. Right. What's been your experience of being faced with those moments of, you know, am I going to give up or am I going to stand and deliver and turn it around here? Like how long did you push that stuff away for and ignore it and continue to drink and try and chuck a Band-Aid on it and forget about it? And like where did that go and, and how did that stop and then you decided to change your life? Yeah, it was after, um, after that motorcycle accident, I found my old mountain bike in my basement, in my parents' basement, dude. And I just like rode it a little bit further and then like rode it a little bit further. And I just did that, you know, time and time again. And then I don't know what it was. It was like a faint whisper where it was ride your bike across the country, you know? <laughs> and I like, couldn't get this idea out of my head, dude. Yeah. Okay. So I bought a steel frame touring bike and then just strapped like way too much stuff on it and left to ride from Boston to Seattle um, you know, carrying. So how quickly did you make that decision from, from hearing that voice in your head saying you should ride across the country to then strapping the stuff to your bike and, and heading off? Like how long did it take you to make that call? Um, a lot of people can vouch for this that like when I get into something, I get like super into something. Yeah. Dude. Yeah. So it was pretty much like from that moment, it took about like a little over a year, you know, like I was about to go off and do it and then i got a better job so it bumped it up like a couple months you know and it was pretty much like within a year within a year and a half of that so like from the motorcycle accident it was like less than two years in total where yeah. i just i just went off and left you know i <laughs> just left dude so when you started out on that like how did how do you even approach trying to ride a bike across the country like how did that look and what was your plan what did people say to you about doing that um well i was doing so uh the year before my my grandmother passed away uh from skin cancer and what i did was i wanted to honor her through this ride so i decided to raise money for saint jude's children's hospital and you know because i was doing it like that a lot of people were like, yeah, you can do it. But like after I finished, a lot of people afterwards were like, dude, I didn't, th I, I thought you were going to make it to like Buffalo and quit. Yeah. You know? Because <laughs> it's um, pretty ambitious, man. How far is that? That was like a little over 4,000 miles, dude. Wow. Yeah. Like I never had done a single overnight trip before. 
<laughs> like I bought a tent and a travel size guitar and I strapped it to my bike and left. Man, that's so romantic. <laughs> that's really what it was. It was it was like the modern day manifest destiny, really. Yeah. You know, just like head west, young man. Yeah, that's so cool. How did you feel when you were doing that? In the time where I was like, it was just me and I had run out of food and I'd run out of water and I was just like, stuck in the Adirondack mountains of New York. And I mean, this was like day five. And in that moment, it was like, do I do something about this or do I quit? You know? And in that moment, I was like, I have to do something about this, you know, because I made this thing bigger than myself, which gave, which I felt gave me this power to continue at times, even though that power was really my own though, you know, that's the key, man. I definitely relate to that. I think, um, that's one incredible example your trip but i think anything that we take on whether it's a project or a job or something that we're passionate about um where we do get the power to continue it and build it if it's about more than just us like if it's about serving a a higher purpose or a a bigger idea um, like you for honoring your grandmother and raising that money it does give you strength to continue rather than if it was just like, oh, I'm just doing this thing because I think it's cool, whatever. That's not going to be enough. Yeah. But if it's like people are counting on me, they're relying on me, other people get something out of this, then we do. I totally agree with you. We do get like an extra boost of strength for that that can see us through. Oh, yeah. It's it's undeniable, dude. Like, Because chasing accomplishments is hollow, you know? Like anyone who like does things for the sake of doing them, like, yeah, it'll make you a better person and you'll like hopefully learn about yourself to make you a better person along the way. But you know, if you're just doing it to like hang something up on your wall, like that's, I think you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you were in the the mountains and you had to make a decision to do something, (laughs) otherwise you were going to, I don't know, get eaten by bears or something like that. (laughs) Pretty realistic. (laughs) what, uh, What did you do that day? Uh, I went on brother. Like I remember coming up to, uh, coming up to this barn and I was like, just got out of the shade for a second. Cause I was looking at the road signs and like, I was hallucinating, you know, at like one moment there were five and then it was 40 miles per hour and then 30 and 40. And it was like changing numbers. And I just decided to just press on to the next town. And I got to this bar where it was one of those scenes where like you open the door and it's the only place in town. And this yeah. is like, the mountains you know it was like no one lives here bro and i like open the door like and like everyone's like and like looks at you you know and i just like i'm a dirty you know dirty dude in spandex that walks into the bar in this place and i just like sit down um and then i started you know talking to some people there and i mean you you have i i see man you you got like two sleeves and stuff like it's a lot more you know people know now that like generally those are the nicest people yeah you know because those are all my friends in hardcore bands growing up but like most people are like i don't know about that guy yeah 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 so like i go up to the bar and i like talk to that guy and his wife and you know we just start like i was so freaked out in that moment before um i just kind of end up being like okay like you know i can keep i can keep doing this thing you know by a little bit extra hype from these two uh mountain folks and i ended up sleeping uh on the lawn of this historical building and just being like you know what just wake up tomorrow and see what you can do and then it really just became a process of that man being like 
dude, you're not going to ride 4,000 miles on this like way too heavy bike right now in one day. You yeah. know, you just got to like wake up and see what you can do that day and just put in your best effort, you yeah. know, and that's exactly what I did the next day. So that's a real metaphor for life then that must have hit home pretty strongly for you. What was going through your head a lot of the time during that ride in terms of processing? You know, I mourned the loss of my grandmother and it was almost like a, a vision quest. The Native American tradition where like, you know, you go on this journey to like find yourself and like yeah. become a man. And that like, that's really what like my journey was for there, uh, for that trip when I rode to Seattle from Boston. Yeah. And you did that in a really raw way like so so intense that you literally went off into the wilderness by yourself like it's pretty pretty stereotypical but yeah it must have just been incredible how did that experience shape you and change you overall yeah that was um 2017 um and it was just a series of you know like just try get up dust yourself off and like move forward you know like i got on that trip, dude, I got literally like the bird flu. I slept in this pavilion out in this 50 person town in North Dakota, like a f- total fly, you know, flyover state or whatever. Um, and I got like the bird flu and I lost a bunch of weight and just decided to keep going, you know, and then sprained my ankle and just taped it up and decided to keep going. And then I realized like, oh, you can apply that to so many different things in life. And, you know, that was 2017. I finished that in the end of July of that year. And then through what, the course of 2018. What would you say were the most memorable moments of that ride? Wild horses, man. Wild horses. I can like smell this memory. Um, coming up this long, windy mountain road in Montana, heading to uh, Glacier National Park. And I see this dude on a Harley and he's like going like this you know, like telling me to like slow down. And I'm like, I'm going like 10, man, like not even, you know, (laughs) I'm already going pretty slow. And I just like start to feel this rumble. And there's a pack of like 10 wild horses, man, just like trotting down the road and you just like shaking. And I'm like looking at them and just like, they're so big, man. And so muscular. And I'm like, what do you do with wild horses? You know? Cause like you're going through your head and like, you're like a bear, do this and tiger do this, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) what do you do with wild horses? And I just like, I'm like holding onto my bike. And at the last minute they're like, and just like cut across this field right in front of me. Yeah. Yeah. Full on. So you thought you were going to get trampled. That happens, you know, like, that much mass and like really just collective identity of the wild horses. Like they just, I mean, they'd stomp out my 150 pound body in like yeah. a half a second. It would have been, know? it would have been cool once they went past and you realized you weren't going to die. Though. <laughs> <laughs> so what did that do for your self confidence by the end of that trip? Like what was it like to finish that and cross the finish line and get to Boston and then realize that you'd done that? Like who were you at the end of that trip compared to the start? Yeah, it was, um, you know, that began my process of just kind of like asking myself, like, why not me? You know? And then it was like, Oh, I could probably do that. And I could probably do that. Like right when I finished, I went and uh, it's supposed to be like the hardest hill climb in the world. They say Mount Washington in, in New Hampshire. I rode that same heavy ass bike up Mount Washington, like a couple weeks later. Wow. Um, I was like, I cannot believe I actually did that. And then it was like, I could probably run a marathon. 
And I was like, I could probably teach myself how to swim a couple miles. And I was like, I could probably do a half Ironman. And then like by the end of 2018, like I, like all of those things have been done in, in a couple of months just by being like, I could probably do this. And Amazing. then all of a sudden, like I rode my bike 200 miles. Did you notice that that, that voice in your head was very different to the one that had been there the rest of your life? Like had that voice in the past said, you probably couldn't do that or you shouldn't do that. And then that, that flipped to, yeah, you probably could. Oh yeah. Cause it was for me, like I'm the, I'm my own worst critic and like such a loud in my head kind of way, dude, where it was like, if it wasn't, you know, if I actually cared about something and it wasn't a hundred percent, then it was nothing, you know? So it was like, why even try? Why even bother? Like it was a whole, like, you need to suffer for your art kind of thing, which is, I still slightly believe in some degree. Um, but like accomplishing those things without any sort of like, oh, this thing, oh, that thing is like, no, dude, you rode your bicycle, your heavy ass bike all the way across the country. You know, you did that. And then being able to like, look back at that and just knowing that there's, you know, so much power to the story right there. Just like knowing that you write your own story, you yeah. know, like I could have quit at any time um, on that ride, but that wasn't what I wanted to write. That wasn't the book that I wanted, you know, my life to be. Yeah. Um, and then that was really what propelled me being like, Oh, like just dude, you did that. Like, why not try this? Why not try this? Uh huh. And you realize that the, the only change there is the switch being flicked in your own mind and realizing that actually, yes, I can changing that narrative. And I'm fascinated by the fact that as humans, whatever we tell ourselves in our head, whatever that narrative and that story is, that does become true. Like obviously, there's a lot of external things that we don't control, but whatever you're telling yourself as to who you are or who you're going to become, that will ultimately manifest, which is makes logical sense. Like it's not really a mystical thing. It's just if you truly believe something and then you act accordingly, your life's going to follow in the way that you want it to. But once you really believe that and you start to give yourself actual evidence of it happening and then you can look back and say, well, I've got this reference point from this last thing I wanted to do. That was a massive challenge. I didn't think I could do it, but I did do it. So I guess I'm the person that does do things and can get the job done. And then you, someone poses another challenge and your brain thinks, yeah, I probably could. And then before you know it, after another year of completing more challenges, and these challenges, obviously, uh, it's about the principle of completing it and being the person who finishes and does what they say they're going to do. And then you're this other person. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, absolutely. Because when I got there, like I was the same dude, you know, like I said, it was like, you know, my coming of age story, if you will. But like, ultimately, I was like, still the same dude. I just had ridden my bike like kind of far. Yeah. But you, you weren't know? the same dude, and though. Like, like, once you go through that storm, like you're not the same person. That's the point of the storm, you know? Yeah, exactly. The growth, you know, it's like, I remember like the first five days of that trip, man, where it snowed the day I left because I left in May. It snowed and then it was just cold, wet rain for like five days. And I was like, if this is how it's going to be the whole time, I don't know like what's going to happen. Yeah. And then, you know, one sunny day happened and it like picked me back up. And then that's when I realized like, you know, just, just like life, you know, like, there's going to be rainy days, but there's going to be a lot more sunny days than there are going to be rainy days. And, you know, through that time, that absolutely rang true. You yeah. know, I just knew that, you know, it's, it's such a cliche now, but like the whole like hard times don't last. Yeah. You know, like 
tough people hard do. people do yeah like that and that was really really what it was you know yeah and you can't have the sunshine without the rain as well it seems like all of this trip and all these things you've done have just been this massive metaphor for the rest of your life and it sounds like a movie i, I know you've written a book about it and it sounds very worthy to write a book about something like this but just seeing these these patterns everywhere of you realizing like oh this is a metaphor for the rest of my life and that really shows me how that works and uh, yeah it's just coming across really strongly so you ended up doing all these other endurance tests and doing an Ironman, I believe, uh, and then you did another another bike ride. So, like, what's what's been your your goals throughout those years? After that, you know, that year of two thousand eighteen, I was like, I wanted to change something in the mental health narrative, you know, and that's when I decided in two thousand nineteen that I wanted to like raise money for the National Alliance on Mental Illness, also known as NAMI, um, who had all these great programs for folks of any age, creed, et cetera, you know, um, to support like, you know, everybody's mental health and that. So I decided to try something new and try to give back to the ultra endurance community that like ultimately gave me so much, you know, like talking about building my confidence and all that. So I decided to try and set the Guinness world record for the fastest crossing of the United States from north to south by bicycle. And, you know, that was something where like, you know, I told you it was like, you do this thing, you get a little bit better. You do this thing, you get a little bit better. And I was doing the things until May of 2019 when I was out for my typical training ride. You know, I would ride to Walden Pond every day, you know, like Henry David Thoreau. Yeah. Um, I would ride to Walden and back every morning, a part of like the 60 plus miles I was doing and, you know, hour in the gym. Like I was training you know, I was riding my bike 400 plus miles and lifting weights like five to seven hours a week um, at this point. And I was like, oh, like I'm doing the steps like I'm going to in a month. That was original start date in June. I'm going to smash this record. Like I've thought about it. I've planned it out, blah, blah, blah. And then bang, it was a 50 mile per hour collision head on. This Audi just smashed into the front end of my bike. And it was just like an aluminum airbag, man. I got the whole front end collapsed in on itself. I get tossed over the handlebars. All I really remember is the sound of just glass shattering. Shit. And then just like I was on the ground and just like in that moment, I was like, all of this, like all of this is ruined and blah, blah, blah. And like <laughs> side funny note, like one person that came by um like stopped it was like morning traffic in boston which is wild and she stops and she's like don't worry i'm a nurse and i'm like that's the it's most not convenient help. <laughs> thing that could have happened right there um but you know that really was the beginning of you know like my mindfulness journey really um you know because after that i had such ptsd brother that like i was stuck in my living room with a black hoodie with the hood up all the lights drawn. Like I was afraid to go outside for like a week. You know, I was just so like ultimately just terrified of the world. And then what happened to your started body? Started meditating. Oh, dude, I had um, obviously a concussion, uh, one of many now. Um, I actually got hit by a car a couple months earlier, the day after the Super Bowl, and got a concussion too. I didn't get messed all up, right, but dude. like that was a concussion too in a couple months. Um, I for my meniscus i had a hell of a bone bruise that was like directly from the doctor 
I sprained uh, my ankle. And then like, you know, obviously just my whole body was just riddled with knots, you know, yeah. from head to toe. But you're pretty lucky though, um, sounds like. Oh, dude, I was extremely lucky. Like, I'm very lucky that I have been lifting weights up to that point because I remember hearing a story a couple weeks later where this old guy just collided with another guy on a bicycle on one of the, you know, the rail trail paths. And that dude died, you know? So, like, I was terrified and ultimately so grateful, which was, like, kind of, like, fed into that. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so lucky to be alive. And blah, blah, blah. Yeah. All these things that I was, like, so... I couldn't get out of this like feedback, negative feedback loop in my head. How did you get until out of it? I started meditation, man, meditation. Like it was finally what calmed my nervous system down. And then it had me being able to like, think about like, okay, like what's next, you know? And I went to the police station to pick up my bike and it was just this like, Oh, I have pictures of it still that I show in my keynotes where it's like handlebars are collapsed and it's just like pretzel of aluminum. Um, and I had so many people cause you know, I announced this big thing. I was like, Hey, I'm doing this big thing. Like you kind of got to announce these things. Otherwise you get no traction yeah, to them. Yeah. And, uh, everyone was like, uh, you know, like pat me on the back. They're like, Oh, nice try, man. You know, you'll, you'll get them next time. But, you know, I had this one guy say to me that, you know, adventure doesn't lie in the road ahead of you. It, you know, it lies in your heart. And that's just like lit this fire underneath me, dude. And I hit PT so hard. I started riding my, the bike I rode cross country again and had this miraculous recovery from this stuff. Like all of the PTs, like all of my doctors were like, we literally don't understand how you healed yourself so fast from this. So I built myself back up and then ultimately took on the challenge in the end of September of 2019. So like you're talking about like getting knocked down and getting back up again. Like I had to completely like push it off, push it off in your head too, to regain all this fitness, gain, get an entire bike back, like all of this stuff and work through that trauma to just get to the start line, man, to yeah. get to the start line of this thing. Like I hadn't even started this, the hardest thing I was ever going to do in my life up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then once you did, get to the start though you must have thought well i'm definitely going to complete it now because it's already been this hard to get here so it would have given you that mm -hmm. that extra boost of well i'm not going to stop now and it seems like that's what you've really won through all this is that mindset and that feeling in your heart of if you truly believe something and you're going to go after it then no one's going to stop you but you oh totally man you know those silicone bracelets that folks have like the live strong ones like, yeah it's very common thing that we do something to honor people we love like we had these bracelets made with their name on it. And before I left, I took that bracelet out and I put it on and I put on the other one of my other friend who had committed suicide. That was when I first got into the processing of those emotions. You know, every time I looked at my wrist, it was there, you know, and on day one of that ride trapped in a tunnel of evergreen trees in frigid northern Maine where I started is when I first just broke down um you know just shouting to the shouting into the sky man saying like I'm so sorry you know I'm so so sorry for to my friends and all these things and you made it through that trip I did it was uh you know 11 days nine and a half hours from the tip of Maine all the way down to the the buoy in Key West you know that was my way to honor 
my friends and to work through it myself. Because it was a Guinness World Record and you had to have like an official start time, official end time, things that take away from the essence of why you're doing something. Yeah. But I remember just like slapping my hand with those bracelets on, just like this thunderous slap onto the buoy. It was like, man, like it wasn't like it didn't matter, but it was like, I felt like I like, I, I did my thing to work through this, you know? Hell yeah, like you sort of exercised those demons and you did so much work to get to that point and truly honored them and I suppose would have gone through so much on that ride processing that and doing it so fast as well. Like that must have been very hectic, riding all day, every day, getting up and just like blazing the trail, I guess, because other people have attempted that, I think, in the past, but you, yeah, you're the fastest ever. So how did you find that experience yeah. overall, like managing to actually pull that off? Uh, well, I'd never, I mean, like, you know, I'd never done anything like that before. Like I said, like I'd done similar things, but nothing like that. You know, it was, uh, it was, you know, in the, and this is why I like ultra endurance so much is like, it strips us away of like all the ego, all the everything, you know, and it shows like all, it shows your truest self because you're in such a vulnerable state, you know, like just day after day after day, you know, and just like, literally just like, I went from, you know, uh, the top of Maine, like being all in one piece to the end. Like I had this thing called cyclist palsy where you essentially, you crush the ulnar nerve in your hand. So I had crab claws. My hands were like stuck like this Shit. for months afterwards too. Far like out. I remember, uh, I remember, uh, I lost my gloves in Connecticut in the rain. Cause it was just wild. Um, and I remember like trying to open up a new pack of gloves in like Virginia. And I was like, pawn at it with my silly putty hands like couldn't open it and the dude was like do you need some help and that kind of like continued where like people would see this dude who was like at that point like i became like feral you know like yeah i was just like out there surviving and like people would see me and they'd be like oh like yo what are you doing man um which was great because it it opens up a lot of opportunities for conversation for people to be really honest with you because they you're very unthreatening when you're just like a sweaty lycra donned dude on a bike in the middle of nowhere yeah because they're like this guy's not going to do anything he he's obviously exhausted and hungry <laughs> although that might mean that he will <laughs> that might make him attack <laughs> yeah he's got nothing to lose man he's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so then you wrote a book about this whole experience that you've had because it's been a wild ride this last five years or so of your life so uh just tell us yeah. about a bit about the book yeah. So, um, I wrote the book over the course of, you know, like a couple months. I actually wrote the entire book. I wrote this entire book on my iPhone with my thumbs. Cause I had that cyclist palsy, like an over 200 page oh, really? book, man. <laughs> so yeah, you could only the use entire your thing in a note <laughs> with entirely with my thumbs, dude. And wow. one note on my iPhone. Wow. Lucky that didn't get deleted. <laughs> oh yeah. I know. I was extremely neurotic about that. Um, just like I did it very Kerouac esque because that was truly like i think like if i were to pull like some straws some threads in the you know the fabric of my being like i read on the road in college and then i wanted to hitchhike across the country and like kirok's been a really big inspiration to me so like i feel like maybe he planted a seed in there so i like sat down and i never wrote a book about the cross-country ride and i was like this ride is far more worth writing about because of why i did it mm. you know so it's about my mental health journey and honoring my friends and really just trying to be as open as I can be in my story to hopefully show somebody like me or not like me who can just 
really just relate on any note to this that you know they're not alone in the struggles that they're having so incredible what you've done man and like just beautiful words how is that especially that last ride how how did that change your mental health or make you able to cope with yourself differently and how has that been able to continue on as you've gotten older since that point yeah it definitely added uh added some tools you know into my toolbox you know like you know it's not all about just doing the ultra endurance stuff right like because the saying of if you only have a hammer the whole world is a nail you know it was like it added a bunch of tools to my toolbox and it kind of helped me realize that like I met this dude in South Carolina he had just been taken out of the hospital he was bipolar he tried to kill himself like he told me his whole story at like one in the morning in this hotel and uh He's like, oh man, I wish I could just get on my bike and just like ride off into the sunset like you. And I was like, that's not what happened here, man. I was like, this is just like, this is a way I I cope with this. This is the way I deal with it, you know? And it's like, I look at it as recovery, you know? And not just like this Sisyphus perception of like, I keep needing to push this stuff up the hill, just this rock over and over and over. It really taught me that like, you know, if you want something, it's going to be a lot of work. And your mental health is so essential to not just your own well-being, but to the well-being of the people that love and care about you. And I think that's a damn good reason to put in some hard work, man. Hell yeah, man. That's that's so well said and an awesome way to, to wrap that up. So where can people find this book if they want to read it? Because I want to read it after talking to you. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll make sure to send you a digital copy. It's kind of hard to... Uh, to ship stuff across across the whole globe right now yeah. um but yeah. folks can find me i'm bicycle brendan on instagram facebook all that on my website bicyclebrendan.com you can buy my book from there i sell clothes that i ultimately donate portions to charity for as well and i just recently uh got it up on amazon and kindle and all that stuff as well awesome what's the what's the next goal now you've got a bigger challenge Oh yeah. So, you know, you always got to raise the stakes a little bit higher, man. So I, I did that. Uh, I ran a hundred miles in 24 hours to wrap up the final fundraiser of that. That was a 10 K for an army project where he's $10,000. And now I'm building up on to uh, something pretty exciting for uh, 2022. It's going to be a whole lot of swimming, a whole lot of biking and a whole lot of running though. And obviously it's all going to be for, a very good cause. I know that no matter what it is, you, you'll get the job done because you're the man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, brother. Uh, back at you, man. And, you know, thank you for having a space like this for the most at-risk group uh, who are constantly told that, like, oh, just toughen up. You know what I mean? And uh, for you to do this is is really important. And I hope you know how much things like your work is appreciated as well, dude. Thanks so much, man. And I absolutely love being able to talk to people across the world like yourself and, and have these kinds of conversations. It's an absolute privilege, bro. So thanks so much for, for joining me and doing what you do. And I look forward to following your journey and seeing you do even more crazy stuff. <laughs> Thank you, man. I, I really appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to spread that good word, dude.
That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Youngblood Media, and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.